Welcome to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Back to a fork in time. Don's sitting in the left hand. Well, in the United States, I'm sitting in the left hand seat because that's where the driver sits. In one of Alexis's favorite places, the driver sits on the uh, on the right. On the right. But I'm I'm sitting in the driver's seat. I'm <laughs> presuming we're in the American version of the what if machine. For uh, for this particular podcast, yes. Okay. So apparently we have two versions. Apparently we have one with the uh, with the steering wheel on the left and one with the steering wheel on the right. But as you heard, that was Alexis's voice. So we're both in the what if uh, time travel machine today as we go back and look at historical what if. And today, Alexis, we're going to look at... Madison just jumped in the backseat. Yeah, I, I heard the squeak <laughs> uh, from a squeaky toy. Uh, note, no, no, note to folks, uh, getting, getting dogs squeaky toy gifts for Christmas can produce... Squeaks. Squeaks. Uh, this, this is the moral of the story. And now that we've detoured there a little bit, that's fine. Uh, we like to keep the podcast conversational, so that's good. We're not going to go back and re-record or re-edit this. That's that. That's what happens in the real world as we're recording here. Today we're going to go back and we're going to, I think, look at something. Uh, I think too many episodes. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We are going to do something a little bit different today in that we're not really going to go back as much to a particular historical like moment what if. Right. This is going to be more of a theoretical what if is that a fair way to describe it alexis i topical topical, topical? okay uh, that works for me as well <clears throat> one of the things uh it's it's written by a number of different authors it's an it's become a very common theme for a lot of 20th and 21st century historical writings back on what we generally refer to as the age of exploration mm-hmm. uh, if you are a uh, indigenous person to north america it's the age of when those people came and took my land away perhaps, because what came with exploration was also... Exploitation? Exploitation. That's a good E word, uh, which I think is a fair E word. And certainly, for example, if we're talking about, uh, let's just use one example here, uh, Spanish uh, exploration as it came, came with the conquistadors, who uh, were known for conquering Mm -hmm. native peoples. Uh, But one of the interesting things as we become to as we come to understand a little bit more about why that happened, there are definitely some large themes that exist there. But we want to look at one of those themes in a slightly different way today. And I can't help but tell you this is also sort of inspired by the backdrop that we've had for the last year, which is what a powerful role uh, sickness, illness, plague, and disease can have on the course of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've certainly seen that with the global COVID pandemic. Uh, how that can have both uh, micro impacts, certainly we think of uh, and and lift up and remember those who have lost loved ones in the small sense because of what's happened with this. But there's certainly been the macro issues of fighting a pandemic and the economic impacts and the political impacts that go with that. And so one of the common things, uh, one of the, the, the books that folks may be most familiar with, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning book, I think it won the Pulitzer Prize, the book called... Uh, uh, by uh, Jared Diamond, who uh, wrote uh, Guns, Germs, and... Uh, I'm sorry, I, I, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Yes, that's right. Yes. The middle word there is... Germs. Germs. And so it's, uh, for most that are familiar with the premise, 
a great deal of why there was success by, and we're going to focus here particularly on the European um, influence on the New World post the discovery, so post-Columbus, post-1492, although we'll talk a little bit about here that things probably were happening before 1492, is that there was no doubt that guns, because the early precursors of firearms were something that, for example, the Spanish had that the Aztecs and Mayans did not. Uh, they had steel. Right. Uh, so that's two of the three things. But they also had... Germs. Germs. And so... But they didn't know they had germs. In the sense... You're right. That's a, that's a good point, Alexis. In the sense that they that they brought germs... They didn't think of the germs in the same way that the germs were going to have the impact. First of all, germ theory didn't exist. So right. there was an understanding, though, about the transmission of disease to some degree. Uh, the, the black death had happened. The plagues had already happened. But generally speaking, this idea of what happens when cultures and peoples that have never encountered each other before and the influence particularly of germs was something that they were naive about. Correct. And so... Uh, we'll take a little break here. When we come back into the podcast, we're going to set up the premise of uh, the historical what-if. And the way we're going to look at that what-if is not looking at what if the Europeans had not brought the germs. By the way, that would actually be another interesting uh, thing to explore there. But more importantly, we're going to look at the historical what-if of what would have happened if the influence of germs had been... The other way around? The other way around, reversed. And so we'll pick up on the historical what-if theme of what if the Europeans had encountered things that they were not immune to as a result of the uh, of coming to the New World. So we'll pick that theme up after the break here. We'll be right back. Would groceries delivered to you in as fast as one hour save you a trip to the store? Instacart makes that possible thanks to personal shoppers in your area who hand-select items based on your preferences from the stores you love. And shopping multiple stores is possible on a single order. Instacart picks the freshest produce and even keeps your eggs safe, all while finding everything you usually buy, providing smart suggestions for new items, and even highlighting deals to help you save money. And now you get free delivery on your first order over $35. Let Instacart know we sent you and help support our show by following the link in the show notes. Instacart. Groceries delivered in as fast as one hour. Welcome back to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. And as we talked about before the break, we're not doing a specific event this time. We're covering a topic, but it is relevant given the times we're living in. What are we talking about today, Dad? We're talking about this idea of the influence uh, that particularly happened during the European exploration, uh, settlement, that's in air quotes, uh, the conquering of the new worlds, the influence there of, um, of disease and the fact that um, most of um, what accelerated the success of uh, the European powers that were coming to the new world was the fact that they brought with them not only their guns, not only their steel, not only their horses, not only their technology, which certainly in a military sense, was generally superior to that of the uh, the native peoples of North and South America, but they brought with them diseases. Correct. Probably the most notable of those diseases historically 
in terms of when it in terms of its ability to spread rapidly and when uh, people don't have a natural immunity to it is what particular disease looks. Biggest one is probably smallpox. I'm looking at a list of, of multiple, but that that's the biggest on the list for sure. So what are some of the others that are there? Measles, uh, influenza, uh, typhus, cholera, and also scarlet fever. Yeah, so all of these are, and in the case of some of these, for example, smallpox, in the case of measles, the types of things that we now have modern vaccines for. Mm -hmm. Certainly we're dealing with a variant of an influenza with the COVID pandemic. We think back to the the Spanish flu uh, pandemic of the early 20th century, so we know how devastating a flu virus can be, particularly a novel or new flu-like virus in terms of its ability to impact things. But it's been argued quite heavily that one of the reasons it was relatively, quote-unquote, easy uh, for European explorers and thus their, their, their elements of conquering to be successful was, again, not because they had superior metallurgy or not because they had superior military technology, which they did, but because of the fact that they brought with them these invisible enemies, these invisible elements of technology, which were the germs. And in fact, an argument that's been made is that part of the reason when they arrived in the New World, they being this, the arrival by Columbus, being you know, the recognition there, was in fact there had already been to some degree some contact between uh, the, the Old World and the New World that had brought over, for example, smallpox in such a way that there had already been in the maybe 50 to 100 years before uh, the, uh, the arrival of, uh, of, uh, of European settlers in 1492, there had already been a spread of some of these diseases that had thinned the populations in the New World tremendously, um, which is why there were relatively few people here compared. Uh, again, the Europeans that were coming thought of this as sort of a pristine, uninhabited land because the but part of that may have been because there had already been the ravages of that. But certainly once there was contact between the Europeans and the New World, it became uh, very easy to understand that some of the diseases to which natural immunities had grown for Europeans, smallpox being an example of that, were not diseases that the Native Americans had. Correct. And so how did that play out? Didn't go well for the Native population of America for sure. Right. So literally what happens there is in many cases they were overcome in the short term and in the long term by the fact that uh, they had no natural immunities to these diseases. A, a disease like smallpox can spread very quickly very quickly, and it can be very devastating. And so you can have large percentages, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent of a people group that are wiped out by this disease to which they have no natural immunity. Over time, those that survive will have the immunity, so that will change. But in the short term, it's a very impactful thing. Uh, so the premise, though, today is not talking about that historical what did. That's well established. But imagine, if you will, that there was no particular reason that that only worked one way. Correct. Uh, we tend to think of that in the sense of what the Europeans brought to the Americas in terms of the, the native inhabitants of the Americas not having a defense again. But what we want to explore today is, what if it had been the other way around? So, uh, what we're going to talk about today is, uh, I think we're probably going to end up entitling the, uh, uh, the episode probably Montezuma Reversed. Uh, most of you are familiar with the concept of um, Montezuma's Revenge. <laughs> which is this idea that for, for many uh, uh, who go to certain parts of uh, Latin America, they have issues, stomach issues as a result of not being familiar with some of the things that are 
just naturally in the water that again they don't have a natural again again this natural ability to fight off but imagine if you will that instead of the Europeans bringing diseases to which the Americans did not have a natural immunity that the Americans or the Native Americans the native peoples struggling with what to call them here so I'm just going to use Native Americans probably meaning not just America in the sense of the political entity we know right. today but all of the North and South American continents is that what if they had had diseases, which we won't even assign a name to, we'll just call it disease X. What if they had disease X for which the Europeans had no natural immunity? So when I throw that out as a premise, Alexis, what are some of the first things that pop into your head? Well, I think automatically you would have what happened in the, in the what did of the Europeans come over and not to put too strong a word on it, but basically annihilate the population with this disease. If you have the Native Americans having a disease, as soon as the Europeans come over, you have an annihilation of the European population of what is going on with this disease X that we've never seen before. We Our bodies don't know what to do with it. It would just be the exact opposite of... And you would have this double issue of they're coming over, they're immediately getting sick with something, and they're still trying to find their footing. The Native Americans, they're settled, they have civilizations, they have cities. Um, you have these Europeans that are showing up in their ships, and they're trying to build cities and build civilizations while being continually knocked down by whatever this mysterious disease X is. Yeah. But one of the things that immediately jumped to mind now, is to, which I, I thought about, didn't think I was going to mention it right now, but it, one of the things that was in the back of my mind is thinking about the fact that when when the Europeans came, they didn't come on large, massive luxury liners no. bringing, you know, thousands and thousands of people. They didn't come on, you know, we think as modern cargo. They came on relatively small ships, now maybe large groups of them. But like, for example, you know, thinking about the size of Columbus's original landing party, um, it's not that large. I mean, it's it's three relatively small ships. Right. Or thinking about, you know, moving much further in history, but thinking about the early arrival of, uh, thinking of American history of the pilgrims in Massachusetts, all basically on one ship. There were going to be two, there ended up being one. These are relatively small groups. And in fact, we have, in some cases, colonization efforts that happen even much later. We're not talking about during the age of exploration, during the late 15th century and early uh, 16th century, we're talking about into the 16th and 17th century where you have the question of, you know, sort of these quote-unquote lost colonies. What happened right. at a particular place? You know, one possibility, we may discover this down the fact is something like the scenario that we're describing may have happened. Actually did happen. To, to a Roanoke or um, something like that. Um, uh, so this may have actually been the case, but very often it's the situation of it's such a small group coming that no one knows the direct fate, the immediate fate of that group, because it's a small group, and if nobody lives or nobody survives, to get a letter out. Yeah, or, or, and, and nobody's there to explain to the folks that follow on who are expecting them to be there, already having established the settlement or whatever. There's just sort of this lot. We don't know why this is happening. Right, and to piggyback on that, too, yes, they're coming in very small ships. It's a very small group of them. It's not like they're bringing months and months and months and months of reinforcements because the idea was they land and they immediately get to work settling and making their civilization. So if you have a disease that's knocking them out and they're not able 
to get settled and they're not able to forage for resources because they didn't bring them necessarily with them for that much time. So if you have this disease that's knocking them out, then you you don't have this ability to kind of galvanize a settlement because it's we only brought reinforcements for about a month and we've been fighting whatever this disease is for about a month, so no civilization. Yeah, and so what you run the risk of there is that you may have successive waves that also come to the same thing, but the second wave doesn't know what happened to the, to the first. first wave until it's happening to them. them. The third wave doesn't know what happened to the first wave and the second wave. Eventually, there's not wave 23 for, for the reasons that are there, because eventually someone comes and realizes something must be... Up here. Something must be up here, and so maybe that changes the behavior. I was particularly thinking about I did an episode about this, particularly on the, um, the Cortez situation with with the Aztecs so this is the con this is 1519 uh, with uh, the Spanish um, conquering of, of Mexico in that you know Cortez and by the way Spain had already established itself somewhat in the New World so he wasn't coming all the way from Spain he was actually coming from uh, the area of Hispaniola and Cuba over to Mexico but they brought a force of about 400 men give or take so Imagine the scenario where these 400 land, uh, they begin the process of interacting with the natives as they did, and they suddenly start realizing that they're getting sick and they're dying. And so let's say 90% of that is wiped out. So you end up having not the situation we've just described where there's just, we don't know what happened, but you have this small group who either have a more are more inclined to have a natural immunity or they find some way through the situation. But so they survive enough to exit, get back to the ships, maybe sail back to where they came from. Let's assume the Cortez situation here, where they sail back to the areas of Spanish control in Cuba and Hispaniola. And they come back telling a tale of what? Disease and plague and biological destruction. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that plays out two ways. Again, again, unfortunately, we have the current backdrop of the pandemic to think this through. These are the folks that managed to survive. So either they just had more of a natural inclination to be immune. Maybe they weren't exposed. Maybe they were fortunate enough to not be exposed. But they run the risk of having maybe enough of an immunity to not just come to it themselves, but actually bringing that disease back, with them. back to the populated areas. And so you literally I have get into so this... many parallels going through my head right now with yeah. the current situation. Let me just throw that in there right now. And so you get the situation where they tell the story of you know four of us, four hundred of us landed, forty of us managed to survive. You know we we encountered the native people. We have superior technology to them, but we just started dropping like flies. Dropping like flies, and you know we managed to make our way back. And then some of them, when they get back, die. So people maybe see the result of the disease, depending on how it whatever the disease is, how it might incubate, or imagine the scenario where then suddenly there's an outbreak of whatever that is and where they come back to. Right. So does I mean, that does that make the folks that are there that either hear the tale, uh, 400 went, 40 of us made it back, or now that you've come back, other people are sick. sick, does that make them more inclined to go and do that or perhaps less inclined? I think less inclined. Yeah. And so you couldn't, you might have this situation, I'm not going to argue here at any moment and for any reason, there's ultimately not um, the successful 
exploration, as you pointed out, exploitation, conquering of the new world by the old world. There were sort of too many advantages, perhaps already built in. Right. For the Europeans, as an example, that are coming. But if it happens more slowly, if it if it doesn't happen with the speed at which it does, if some of these other things happen, how might that be different? I think there'd be more of an awareness, especially if you have the, the situation that you just described of they've gone from Cuba over to Mexico, they've gotten sick, they've come back, now they've introduced this whatever, this disease X, back into Cuba. I think you have more of a realization and more of a cu calculated uh, effort uh, in that exploration. Because there, there's still going to be that exploration, but I think the Europeans will be coming into it a little bit more with their eyes open to the situation and not just full force. I think you would have seen more of that kind of trickle in and slowly. It almost would have been a a, a gradual takeover in my head just because they're, they would have kind of been a little, little smarter about it. Like, well, we can't just go in full force because we tried that and it didn't work. So I think there would have been this, this slow slow trickle in of influence back into the New World as they kind of tested the waters because they didn't want what had already happened to happen again. Yeah. Now the theory is that eventually one of two things will happen. Either you die from disease X mm -hmm. or you... Build up immunity to it. Right, and so eventually disease X becomes... The reason that smallpox, which there still were outbreaks in Europe, for example, of that, the reason is that those outbreaks were less profound is that those that had survived had traits that made them less susceptible, susceptible to, it. to it. So eventually you do have the scenario where that would change moving forward. Right. But it certainly does change, I think, your point. I think you're right. They would they would step in, they'd be tipping their, their toes into the water versus coming in full force. And then I can also imagine a scenario where there is enough of an encounter while they're sort of figuring this out that some, that you do have the benefits now for the natives. I'll use the Aztecs or the Mayans here as an example. They have enough opportunity to see what uh, the European technology looks like, to understand a little bit more about who they are and why they're coming, such that now they're not caught off guard as much by what's there. And it's not like they're going to be able to fully adapt or fully use that technology, but... They might be in a position where they're better served to be able to adapt it into what was there. Because we did see that in the real actual timeline, where they adapted and brought in the technologies that they were exposed to actually pretty quickly. Right, yeah. I, I think we tend to have this Western view of the world, this European view of the world, of the American civilizations were you know, very primitive and very prime. No, they were advanced civilizations. They were not... They were very smart people. So you did have that, you know, that adaptability and that reworking of technology that was brought over. So I think if you have this slower migration of European, I think you give the Americans more time to learn from the Europeans so that they have more of a fighting chance when it comes to it's not exploitation because they've learned and they've adapted what they've seen yeah. in this gradual um, period of time. Yeah. Now, you know, whether, you know, we later actually saw this, sadly, it's, it's a sad commentary on future history where one of the techniques that was actually used was actually intentionally 
passing disease on to to native peoples. Right. Uh, I guess there's a famous. I want to say it's the Cherokee tribe, where at one point they were actually given these blankets that were essentially infected with uh, smallpox Box. intentionally. Uh, that's a that's a horrible commentary on uh, on warfare, but warfare brings out all the worst. And by, yeah. These diseases were a form of biological warfare, whether they could be directed or controlled necessarily to begin with. But you know, you could even imagine a scenario where eventually the Europeans figure it out. The natives figure it out, and so they actually use this as a means of intentionally making it part of the defense. Is that, you know, if, if they can figure out or recognize what it is, or what's there, they may actually, you know, organize their defenses around it. The other thing that jumps to my mind in terms of, you know, I think of this as buying time more than anything else. That's right, the way that yeah. I have it in my head, is that I think back, particularly again, looking back at the example of the, of the conquest of Mexico, it wasn't 400 Spaniards under Cortez that took down the Aztec Empire. Correct. What took down the Aztec Empire? Time. Time. And it took, in fact, that there were other native peoples who had already been at war with... The Aztecs. Right. And, uh, and uh, as a result of that, uh, Spain was able, Cortez was able to uh, create alliances and utilize those forces to make his army much larger. If you imagine a scenario, though, where there's this awareness that gets arisen and the the initial uh, the initial groups or the initial groups of the conquistadors, for example, I keep going back to that as an example, I think it's the easiest example to use, is if they're repelled by disease, or the impact of disease, then there's the chance that the native peoples may realize we have to unite to fight against this foreign invader versus letting this foreign invader capitalize on our... Our weaknesses. Our weaknesses and our differences in such a way that that could have changed. It would have been much harder, not to say that it would not that it would not have been possible. It would have been much harder for Cortez to have been successful in the long term if... Um, if he didn't ally with some surrounding Aztecs. Correct. <laughs> with, with the other tribes that were fighting against uh, the Montezuma-led uh, you know, primary core of the Aztecs. The same was true with some of the Mayan groups, the others as well. And so, if you change the dy- excuse me, if you change the dynamic, how that plays out, I think it makes a big difference. So, under that scenario, if we if we prolong, what's going on there? How do you think that might change things? We already talked about a little bit in the short term, and then in the long term. I think in the in the long term, you would. I mean, we we've talked about this in um, in previous. Uh, episodes before, I, specifically, I think with the Alamo for sure. Um, if you have the Native American empires possibly becoming successful and repelling and kicking out the European um, empires as they're trying to come over, is it possible that where you and I are sitting in modern day Texas, are we speaking some form of? the Mayan language or the Aztec language because it's not the European countries and in our case it was Spain uh, that was ultimately in charge of the area that we were living in prior to Spain and Mexico and then eventually the United States. Um, So the other language that's primarily spoken other than English here is Spanish. If we don't have Spain and Mexico and then ultimately United States, if again, if are are we speaking some dialect of the Mayan language, of the Aztec language, because those civilizations were a, were able to 
use the fact that they were able to unite and to repel the Europeans and kick the Europeans out, and then they were able to expand from where, where they were in Central, Central America and Mexico and up into the United States. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it's easy. I think I had a very naive view of this, partly because of the way I think it was taught to me. I, I agree with you, I think. Early on in the sense, the reason, you know, it was... I think we had gotten away from, by the time that I was in school, this idea almost of a, you know, of a, a European manifest destiny in the big sense for the continents, you know, and certainly we've moved beyond that, much, much better understandings. But this idea that it was really all about superior technology. Right. And it was. And that was only a small part of it. It was only a small part of it. And, it, you know, it, it was, it, again, the, we, as, the more we come to understand, and by the way, this is one of the challenges uh, of modern history is because the, uh, the exploitation and in some ways another E word, the extermination of large portions of, uh, of native populations mean that historians that are looking back today and trying to figure things out, it's like, well, we killed all the people that know how to read those inscriptions that are on that. Uh, pyramid-looking thing over there. You know, we we don't know the story behind this because we wiped them out. Yeah, no one's here to tell us the story. Right, and so, you know, I think we have come to realize over a period of time, again, you mentioned the level of sophistication of some of these societies. They weren't maybe technic, in some ways, not as technically advanced, although when you look at the structures that they built, there's a lot of technology that's at play there. They just didn't have some of the technology that translated most easily into military applications. Uh, again, the, the, the why, and part of that was just the result of natural resources. Right. Part of the reason there's not a lot of, you know, Mayan steel is... Where what, the Mayan civilization was. Right. And so they did things in stone, for example, instead right. of in steel, because that was the resource that was available to them. I just think it, it, it's a curious thought, and it is a little bit different than a lot of our episodes in terms of, you know, not picking off particular fork. I guess we could have used the fork of, you know, what if Montezuma had realized this and had been able to use it to his advantage. But, but I certainly can't help but think about the benefit of if the recognition had been that this was actually something that is a potentially a, a, something that does protect us, how you know the, these were these were civilizations that were smart enough to try to exploit that, right? And so you know they may have, you know, made it seem like whatever they made it seem like. I'm, I'm struggling now to how, to how to articulate this, but this idea of using that in a in a proactive way to say don't come and attack us because you'll die, right? Uh, I even think about the fact that you know there's still again these are primarily from Europe. These are primarily. Uh, mostly Christians that are coming. So they come with that mindset. But, you know, there was still a heavy amount of superstition yes. that existed. And so you may have literally had the thing, uh, well, the reason we can't go into the heart of Mexico is it's cursed. Right. So we just, we leave it alone. And how that might have played out over time. Right. And and I think we've talked, I think we talked about a little bit when you did the bubonic plague episode, we're still at this point in history trying to determine how diseases are even spread. So, for example, smallpox, it's like, okay, we see this disease and it's spreading very fast, but how? And so if you have the opposite, where it's we have this disease and it's spreading, but how? And then you're able to, for lack of a better term, harness that um, and, and use it to your advantage. So I... It, yeah, it's the whole thing of like, okay, there's this disease that's taking people down, but we don't understand 
how it how it's doing it you know so it it does kind of play in that that superstition a little bit like we see all these people getting sick well obviously the answer is it's cursed or there's some supernatural because we don't understand what the biological reason is yeah and so you know part of again the interesting thing to me to me there again we're talking about or this this concept of superior technology again there was superior technology steel etc etc uh even even ships uh, ocean faring there, there was a reason why the europeans sailed west and found north america versus there were not there was not a for the most part a large maritime culture in uh, in in the Native Americas, there was in the Pacific, for example, if you look at the Polynesians and others. Uh, but you know, some of the technology centered around um, um, that. But there wasn't technology in the sense of understanding from a, understanding medicine. That was not a technology advantage, right. or at least to the same extent that the other things weren't advantage. So even if they had maybe a slightly better understanding, they didn't understand enough that that was going to make a difference. Correct. Yeah, and so that, that plays out in an entirely different way. So what do you think potentially would have been the longer-term implications of this? I mean, are we talking here about delays of years, delays of decades? Are we talking about delays of centuries? If this were carried to its ultimate extreme of, you know, something that is extremely deadly uh, and is extremely contagious, sort of disease X is, the, is a double whammy. It's, it's got a very high mortality rate, and it's very contagious. How would that play out? Would, would that have protected the New World to some degree, quote-unquote, forever? Or how do you think that would have played out? I, th I, th I, I won't go as far as centuries. I could definitely see decades. And I think the reason I say that is because even with diseases that are, that are very contagious and very deadly, you do, over time develop immunity there there is over time an immunity that that gets built up from constant exposure to a disease kind of no matter how deadly or how contagious it does spread so i don't see centuries this being pushed back but i could definitely see decades of it just it takes especially if you have a disease and again this is very pertinent for the current times we're living in because we're now seeing you know, these other strains that are coming with, with COVID and kind of determining, you know, does it spread easier? Is it more, is this strain more contagious? Do we still have the same immunity to this strain than we do to the original strain? So diseases, they, they morph and they change and they mutate and they do things like that, but you do build an immunity and with just normal things like flu, the, the strain might be a little bit different, but your body reacts to it in pretty much the same way, even though it's a slightly different strain. So you're going to develop immunity, but I think it'll take a few decades for sure to kind of push it, push it back and get that immunity built up to a point that it's safe enough to begin that exploration and that ultimate exploitation. Yeah, I agree. And, and so then the question is, you know, let's say yeah, I'll, I'll just arbitrarily pick a 20 or 30 year period of time or so, 25 years. So let's say there's a 25-year delay in the primary. Again, I'm gonna, I keep going back to the same example. The, the two things that come to mind, well, three things that come to mind mean to me are the Spanish uh, taking the territory that had been Mayan, uh, the territory that the Aztecs resolved, you know, again, the Cortes-Montezuma situation, then ultimately after that, Pizarro and the conquering of Peru, so the fall of the Inca yes. uh, civilization. If you can delay any of those for 25 years, 
I think it does make a big difference, again, in terms of those native peoples being better prepared to interact. Are they ultimately going to be able to defend themselves from Europe? Probably not. But are they able to essentially lose autonomy more on their terms versus having it imposed upon them? Very likely. Uh, and again, if it certainly if it goes beyond that, if there certainly becomes this thing of, you know, uh, there's signs all over the beaches of Mexico which say, you know, forbidden, do not enter here, you know, um, abandon all hope, ye who go, you know, inshore from here. That becomes a very different scenario than, you know, the scenario that we actually saw in the real world. Right. And I think if you have, you know, the 25 years, let's say 25 years, if you have these extra 25 years for those those three, those civilizations to build up and ally with each other and, and fortify themselves... Is there more of a amalgamation of the cultures where they're they're still taken over by the Europeans, but they're able to retain more of? We might have people who could still speak the Mayan language, could still speak the Aztec language, because it's not completely wiped out. The problem is because of those diseases and the way they swept over the Americas, they just wiped it out, and so we don't have. But if we're able to kind of have that twenty-five year let's call it a buffer period, 25-year um, buffer period, you have that ability to kind of meld the cultures together a little bit more. It's not this sweeping annihilation of the culture. Right. So, so it becomes a much, it becomes more prolonged, the very nature of what we've described. It, it becomes more balanced. Right. And because of those things, once you change the balance of power uh, or, 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 and you change the timing, uh, on this, you, you have the chance of making a big difference. And again, for me, the thing that I keep coming back to is if at some point, you know, the Aztecs or the Mayans or whoever has this immunity to disease X, it becomes something that's very powerful for them in the sense that they know that they only need to expose someone to it. It actually becomes, we've talked about it so much here in terms of being a defensive component for them. It has the chance of actually almost becoming an Weapon? A weapon. And often, you know, it can be weaponized in the sense of the fear that can go with it becomes the weapon. Right. And so, particularly if you, they are able to discover, you know, we do have, we still have some of our own folks who succumb to this and we've, we've captured, you know, we've, this, this sadly goes throughout, you know, siege warfare throughout the history of man, of, you know, sowing those types of things, you know, and casting, for example, dead bodies over walls for the very point of I'm trying to send the disease into the compound. Fair. Versus, you know, versus the other way around. Uh, but to, to me, to me, it's an interesting thought to think through how that plays out. So any other thoughts on this one? Just another thing that kind of we were talking about, you know, strains and kind of um, varying strengths and kind of natural immunities. Again, this is very, very timely. I mean, I know three people who have all been exposed to COVID and they've dealt with it in, com in three different ways. So it, it's the same thing. You know, diseases all throughout history, humanity has, has, has individually dealt with it in very different ways. Even though it's the exact same disease, it's, it's our natural bodies that are, that are taking it. So I think it kind of would have been that thing as well of there's this disease, but pe people are individually going to deal with it in a certain way, but it's still going to take that time for humanity as a whole and the civilization as a whole to be able to deal with it. Just because one person might be immune to it or it might not be as 
as as strong of a reaction in them doesn't mean the civilization as a whole is okay just because this one person again it's that 40 people were able to make it out that doesn't mean it's not a devastating disease that means 40 people for whatever reason could make it out and could say hey this is this is bad so right and eventually what happens from that is you know you may see it's the other thing that occurs to me is that while there certainly would have been an impetus to understand better the transmission of disease and the things that deal with that is that those who were known to be immune to that because they had survived it uh, gain a different place in terms of their role in interacting with what's happening. Now they become the leaders that are going to lead the expeditions because they know that can't touch them. For some reason, this doesn't affect me, or does you know does, doesn't doesn't affect me as much, or maybe I have a chance of surviving this. So even the individual courses, not just of the big flow of history, but of individuals, the ones who happen to be, you know, happen to be immune to this, could also there. And again, especially if this quote unquote disease X, and that's what I referenced to as I mentioned before, if it has a very high, not just making you sick, but killing you, has a very high mortality, and it's extremely contagious. Contagious. It's the combination of those two factors right. uh, that make the big difference. There are things that are highly contagious. But aren't deadly. That aren't deadly. There are things that are highly deadly that aren't necessarily... That contagious. Contagious. When you combine the two together, that's where you have things like the Black Death. That's where you have things like smallpox. Some of the others that you read off that list that are very, that are very prominent in terms of what they are. It's the combination. Yeah. I mean, one of the other interesting things that, you know, that just popped in my head, I think so often about the rainforests of South America and why they are so prized by pharmaceutical companies because of some of the natural uh, plants and other things there that are... I, I used to know the stat because I used to work at, in an organization that, that did a lot with rainforest plants. It's something like 90% of the plants in the rainforest have some kind of medicinal property. So, yeah, very priced. Yeah, and, and so, you know, what occurs to me is, you know, let's say this particular, the reason that this particular disease X is, does not affect the natives is because of diet, something that they eat, something they take, something they've been exposed to. The fact that one of their remedies that's been discovered over time is an extract from a plant or a root or a... Berry. Whatever it might be, they understand that, then suddenly that becomes something that's worthy of trade to these folks that want to come. And so... Yes, they, they prize, for example, one of, the, one of the main reasons that drives this whole event is, is prizing, you know, the, uh, the New World gold. Right. Uh, but suddenly the Spanish may prize... The bark of a tree. Yeah, as much as they prize the gold because of what it means in terms of being valuable to the preservation of life. Right. And, you know, that, that's a whole other thing we could explore, probably could do a whole episode on that, this idea of then... If you change the economic power, you know, the thing that runs through my head is how often, you know, the old adage, you know, like like the, the purchase of Manhattan, you know, it was a box of beads, right? Right. Well, the reason that those quote-unquote beads were valuable was it was something that you did not have that seemed valuable to you. Certainly something that preserves life has a lot of value. A lot of value. So, hope you've enjoyed today's episode, which was a slightly different what if. It's the what if of flipping disease around in history. And I think the more we come to understand, there's two big things that we come to understand the more we study history, the influence of disease and the influence of climate at various points, things like droughts and other things like that and how they influence things. For example, one of the reasons that we believe the Mayans had, had fallen from where they were to where they, where they had been to where they were at the time of the arrival of Europeans in the New World had been having gone through a prolonged drought situation and had gone through all the implications of overpopulation 
and overuse of the of the resources that were there. We're not going to get off into the uh, to an ecological green discussion here on the podcast today, but understanding that the the forces of history are not just about again um, uh, guns and steel, but they very often are about things like germs and about things like rainfall uh, make a big difference as well. So, Lex, anything you want to tell the listeners as we sort of close out here, sort of the typical things that we talk about that can help out the podcast? Sure. Um, so, we want to direct everybody to visit our website, which is aforkintimepodcast.com. I'm leading this part of the podcast, so I will say the A is important. The podcast is important to get to the right place. Uh, you can do tons of different things uh, from that website, but something that is new... Uh, on the podcast website is we have merchandise now. Merchandise? How in the world did we get merchandise? That would be through uh, one of the partners that we actually found. Uh, we actually got exposed to them through another podcast that we listened to. Um, but yeah, you can get a logoed shirt, a logoed mug, even a logoed mask. We are living in in a pandemic time, unfortunately, but those are going to be great conversation starters. If you're wearing a shirt, if you're drinking out of your coffee mug, uh, you'll be able to start a conversation with somebody about what what's that logo that's on your shirt or on your coffee mug or on your mask. Uh, so we encourage you, if you're interested in that, to check that out. Uh, we are still doing our COVID check-in as well. As I mentioned, we are still living with COVID. So if you still want to check in with us, we would love to hear from you. You can also uh, drop us a message about a podcast topic suggestion, do several different things from the website. It also has our entire back catalog if you want to go back and listen to everything. Uh, you can also find us on the various podcatchers. We're on a lot of them. Uh, so you can uh, make sure, again, you never miss an episode from those podcast catchers. But one thing we really want to uh, encourage you to do in those podcast catchers is to either rate and or review the podcast. Um, that really does help us be found by other potential listeners as well as having a conversation with somebody. But if somebody's just searching in the podcast app, one of the ways that uh, they can find us is through that search. And doing those ratings and those reviews help boost the podcast in those rankings. So if you'd like to do that for us, we would appreciate it. Of course, five stars is what we'd, what we'd like. But if you have some uh, constructive criticism, we'd love to hear that as well. Also in those podcast catchers, subscribe to the podcast. That means you don't even have to go looking for the next episode. It just shows up in your feed. It's magic. Uh, you don't have to work for it. So I would strongly suggest that you subscribe to the podcast as well. All right. All those are valuable things. Uh, there you can also find uh, our links to our social media links. Obviously the link to our Patreon page and other ways to support the podcast uh, through financial means if that's something that you're capable of doing and are so inclined to do. And so all that's there. Again, it's a, it's a quaint little part of the web. It's nothing special, but it's our little part of the web, so it's special to us, and that's at www.aforkintimepodcast.com. Most importantly, though, we want to thank you for your time and for your attention. That's the biggest gift that you give us is a little bit of you. Uh, you might be doing something else while you're doing this, but you're giving us at least your ears and hopefully a part of your brain, and we appreciate that. And, uh, and, and value that because we know that there are other things that you could be doing other than listening to us muse on about things. So we value that. So on behalf of Alexis, this is Don signing off for today's episode of A Fork in Time. And as always, we're going to suggest if you encounter that fork in time, one of the smartest things you can do is what? Take it. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.
Thanks for listening to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Learn more about the podcast at www.aforkintimepodcast.com. Join us next time.